Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Good morning, everybody, and thank you very much for joining us today. So just to talk about the agenda, first of all, the presentation will be about 35 minutes, and then we'd be delighted to take your questions at the end. So as well as the usual sections on financials, KPIs, and strategy, we've dedicated a section in the presentation up front, which specifically looks at Sasanda's winning formula. Investors have been really keen to understand what is driving our success and what's unique about our business, which has enabled us to keep navigating the many external challenges that all businesses are facing. Um, and as part of our strategy section, after the financials, we'll be specifically addressing the market backdrop and looking at the challenges of the current economic climate and how we intend to navigate them. So first, onto the highlights of the year and current trading. So it's been a brilliant year. Revenue is up 142% year on year at 29.5 million. And the key milestone was we were profitable in every month of H2. Underpinning that success was strong growth, both on our own site and through third parties, driven by an increased diversity of product mix. And there's also been a strong performance across all KPIs. So we're very pleased to say that we've had a very strong start to the year. We've had a record quarter. So that's for April to June with revenue of 10.4 million, which is up 81% year on year. And that growth has been both our own site and with third parties. We've had records galore, record days, a record week just last week, and record conversion rates. And also, very importantly, we've been EBITDA positive in every month of the new financial year. So that's now nine months, consecutive months of EBITDA positive. And we've seen high demand across all product categories, but particularly strong sales in workwear, occasion wear, and holiday clothes. And we've successfully launched with the Berry Group and Next Platform Plus. And all this is demonstrating just how big the opportunity is for Sasanda. So our purpose is to dress women across the globe to feel sexy and chic. And in doing this, our opportunity is to be one of the biggest women's wear brands in the world. So there are six key areas that we've identified that together make up our winning formula and drive our success. First has been a cultural change in society and how this has created an opportunity for Sasanda to thrive and grow. The size of the addressable market, our differentiated product range, our unique creative process and use of imagery, our affluent high spending customer base and very high retention rates, and then our company culture and how we run our business. So we're going to go through now each of these six areas. So starting off with an ageless society. So the very reason Sasanda was born is that Ali and I identified a big societal shift towards an ageless society. You can see from the quotes here how increasingly age is no longer a barrier or a limitation and people are less and less identified by their age. The phrase middle age is becoming meaningless and people of all ages are rewriting every single rule about what you should do at what age. And the effect that this has had is that all rules about dressing for your age have also gone out the window. So fashion and the way people dress is becoming equally ageless. To illustrate the point, you can see on here we have pictures of celebrities in their 30s, 40s, 60s and even 70s who are all dressing in a sexy, chic, youthful way. 
And you can see age literally has no bearing on how they're dressing. And so therefore, it gives us at Sasanda the massive opportunity to dress all women over 35. And that addressable market of women over 35 that we target with Sasanda in the UK alone is a massive 20 million women with 13 million in our core demographic of 35 to 64. As age doesn't determine how women dress anymore, whatever age we recruit a customer at, our opportunity is to dress customers for their entire lives. And these numbers represent only the UK. The same societal shift and the opportunity it represents exists in all developed countries across the world, giving us the opportunity to dress women right across the globe as the business scales. And this huge addressable market are all united by a desire for on-trend, affordable, long-lasting, lifestyle-appropriate clothes. So Sanders Magic is the successful execution of distinctive product and powerful communication. And this execution has captured the hearts and minds of our ever-growing customer base. And this slide demonstrates what, what we actually do with product. As a clothing brand, our product is obviously everything. This is the key driver to success that makes everything work. From a practical level, we create head-to-toe outfits that flatter figures, whether our customer is a size 6 or a size 20 or anywhere in between. We give her a mid-level price point. We give her outfits she can always wear a bra with, outfits that are long-lasting, a wide product range that covers all occasions, unique prints that are designed in-house and unique shapes and the vibrant colours that she craves. But on an emotional level as well, the clothes make women feel sexy and chic, boost her confidence and make her feel both youthful and desirable. And then what amplifies our product range is the imagery we use to connect with our customers. We brought a unique creative process from our backgrounds in the media that completely turned retail industry norms on its head. So lifestyle imagery is really important as it brings the product to life and also creates an emotional connection with the customer as she buys into the lifestyle we're presenting. So we're the only fashion brand to produce upscale lifestyle imagery and video for every product. We go from shoot to on site and on air in a matter of days rather than taking the industry norm of months. Our imagery shows how to wear the product, which increases conversion and drives higher basket value by selling entire outfits. And it's a big attraction for our third party partners because our imagery is unique. We also change the industry norm as all our third parties refused lifestyle imagery from their partners. They only took imagery photographed on white backgrounds, but we convinced each of them to do a test with our clothes on white backgrounds and then with our lifestyle imagery. And they saw the obvious increase in sales. So let us break their rules and have lifestyle imagery on their site. To come on now to talk more about our customer, we are extremely mindful of the challenges that are presented with difficult economic times, and we're more, more focused than ever on delivering value for money for our customers. But the socio-demographic of our customers will give them some degree of cushioning against the rising cost of living. Of key importance is that Sasanda customers index very highly on mosaic profiling against the top socio-demographic groups in the UK. Our customers are most likely to be high income earners with successful careers and large houses in affluent areas. And this is also reinforced by the data that we see in our own business. A tiny proportion of customers use Klarna compared to what would be typical for other fashion brands as they have little need for spreading payments. Unlike many fashion retailers, we don't see a demonstrable uplift in sales around payday because our customers aren't waiting for payday in order to spend. 
And we also see year-round strong sales and high-ticket items over £200, such as leather jackets and dresses. And we know our customers inside out. They have diverse wardrobe needs, they're affluent, and they shop regularly. And the success of our product and communication is proven in the rapid rise in our key customer metrics. So you can see here that the number of active customers has quadrupled in three years, now standing at around a quarter of a million people. And an ever increasing proportion of those customers are becoming regular shoppers. That's now risen to 42% of the customers we recruit becoming repeat customers. And the frequency of buying amongst these regular customers has rocketed. On average, a repeat customer now shops over four times a year. And finally, we come on to the um, sixth point, which is around our company culture. This underpins everything that we do, and it's driven our ability to execute well and to successfully navigate the many challenges that all businesses have faced over the last two and a half years. We're highly creative and innovative, challenging everything that we do to get better and better at what we do, to understand our customers better, to think ahead, to constantly innovate both in the business and, for our, and in our product for our customers. We're also highly disciplined and organized as a business, planning well, being proactive, anticipating challenges and thinking ahead to the solutions. And utilizing data sits at the absolute heart of the business, meaning we're constantly honing and refining everything that we do. So we combine creativity, discipline and data with agility and speed of an entrepreneurial culture. That means we can adapt quickly to change, we can solve problems and react to customer behavior. And our company culture is evident in every single area of the business, whether it's supply chain, product planning, marketing, or customer care. To give you a couple of examples, how we've continued to navigate the supply chain challenges has been by good strategic planning across a diverse supplier base, a diverse freight strategy, and the ability to adapt shipping methods quickly and working with strong partners. Also in our marketing, we run this like it's a news desk. Expert planning, and then we combine that with ability to react quickly to product, weather, customer sentiment. So we always capture exactly what customers are thinking and feeling. So I'm now going to hand over to Steve, who will walk through how everything that Ali and I have just spoken about is evident in our financials and KPIs. Thanks, Julian. Morning, everybody. On the first slide, I'll start with our financial highlights. In the year of FY22, our net revenue is 29.5 million, which is 142% up on the prior year and 228% up on FY20. The growth in revenue was delivered through incredibly strong performance on both Sasanda.com and through each of our third party partners who continued to go from strength to strength throughout the year. Our revenue in the first half of FY22 was equal to the entirety of the prior year. And the year included a series of new records, including record monthly revenue in three consecutive months from September through to November. Return rates during the year continued to normalize on a category by category level, which for us means mid to late 40s, depending on the time of the year and what category is selling most at that point in time. In terms of our profitability on the right-hand side, we are delighted to report as our revenue grew significantly, our losses also reduced substantially. For FY22, our EBITDA loss was 0.2 million, which compares with a 2.9 million loss in the prior year. This performance included a profitable second half at both EBITDA and PBT level, with every single month being profitable, 
including the traditionally quieter months of January and February. This improved performance shows the clear trajectory that we're on towards being full year profitable at both EBITDA and PBT level in FY23. Moving on to gross profit, our gross margin improved significantly compared with the prior year, which reflected a more normal year being much less impacted by the COVID pandemic. During the year, as our scale increased, we have seen margin improve, reflecting the benefit of larger order quantities, which has led to improved cost prices. In addition, we have continued to increase the proportion of stock being transported to the UK using cheaper and more environmentally friendly methods, such as road and sea. This trend will continue further into FY23. The margin in the prior year was a result of greater promotional activity to ensure that inventory sold through, in particular during periods of lockdown. This has not been repeated in FY22 as the impact of COVID was much less severe and consumers were gradually able to return to some sort of normality, including going back to work, going out and taking holidays. In terms of our overheads, on the right-hand side, our overheads as a percent of net revenue continued to drop from 71% in FY21 to 56% in FY22. We've increased our spending to drive the business forward whilst maintaining the same strong cost control measures to ensure return on investment is always maximized whilst also driving ongoing improvement in processes across everything that we do. And to add more color to that on the next slide, this slide shows the breakdown of our overhead expenditure on the left-hand side, that's the breakdown by type. And you can see that in FY22, we are now relatively balanced in terms of the four primary categories of spend, which are fulfillment, marketing, operations, and third parties. Overall, our admin expenses increased by 92% compared with the prior year. The investment has been across all elements of the business throughout the year, and this is what's enabled us to drive the 142% growth in revenue. To note on this slide, Impale Gold is the commission that is retained by our third party partners. We report this in overheads, which ensures that the revenue and the gross profit figures that we've reported earlier are unaffected by whether we make a sale on sasanda.com or through one of our partners' websites. On the right hand side is our overhead spend as a percent of net revenue. As you can see, all types of spend fell in the year resulting in our loss being so substantially reduced. Of particular note is the blue line, which is fulfillment and logistics, which has continued to fall gradually as a percent of revenue. And this is inclusive of us supporting our warehouse provider, Clipper Logistics, with colleague wage increases, which has been more than offset by productivity initiatives, which has brought down the overall cost per unit from our warehousing operation. There remains more opportunities to come to further improve our overhead percentage. I now have a few slides um, which will show our KPIs for our website only. So these slides exclude the third party operation. They're just the standard.com. On the left hand side is our web visits, um, which increased in full year 22 by 47% to 13.1 million. This included six of the 12 months in the year being new records, reflecting the ongoing awareness of our brand and the response to our marketing communication strategy. On the right is our conversion, and we're absolutely delighted to report that our 
average conversion in the year increased to 3.9%, which is a 25% increase compared with the, with the previous year. In addition to our marketing, this step up is a reflection of the amount of product choice that we now have available for our customers. And that increase in conversion led to a total number of orders in the year of 508,000 in FY22, which is 84% higher than in the previous year. We had several record months with both October and November having more than 50,000 orders in, a, in those months, which was the first time that we had exceeded this amount for a single calendar month. In terms of average order value, this stepped up to £90 in the year, representing a 9% increase. And this reflects a greater proportion of full price sales, given FY21 was impacted by actions that we had to take as a consequence of COVID to ensure that seasonal stock sold through, particularly around the Christmas period when we went back into a form of lockdown. For reference, the AOV in FY20 reflected the product mix at that time, which was much more dominated by higher price point categories such as dresses. Orders generated from new customers increased by 64% in FY22 to 141,000. And that's represented by the bars on this chart. Importantly, the line represents our cost of acquisition or CPA. And this reduced again in FY22, having fallen substantially from pre-pandemic levels, which is represented by the line. We are incredibly pleased to improve the ROI from our customer acquisition activity. And our current level of CPA is under £19, which is a 65% reduction on where we were in FY20. The reduction in FY21 was in part due to cutting back on marketing, particularly in H1 due to the COVID pandemic. However, to further reduce our CPA ever since that point means that each customer is now profitable to us very early on in order number two. In addition to our strong KPIs on customer acquisition, we've also continued to grow repeat customer orders. In FY22, we generated 367,000 repeat orders, which is 94% up on the prior year. So to summarise, in terms of our KPIs, we have continued to deliver increasing levels of customer engagement on Sasanda.com with all KPIs increasing year on year. Moving on then to our revenue generator from our third party partnerships. We've been delighted with how well Sasanda product has resonated with our third parties. And this chart represents the growth in revenue over the last two years. We grew significantly through H1 of FY22 from a relatively low base. And this further accelerated in H2 as we were able to invest in even more stock following the equity raise that we did in May 21. We continue to allocate more styles to each partner throughout the year and have increased the average number of units per style month on month. We've increased the proportion of the overall range that is allocated from around 10% in FY21 to now on average 15% in FY22. And this continues to grow even more so with Next following the post year end launch of Platform Plus which means that we'll be able to accelerate the range available to the next customer by upwards of 30, maybe more percent overall. The concession model is profitable from day one. And so this significant step up in revenue has helped to drive us towards profitability, whilst also giving us more opportunities, which have 
greater scale that greater scale brings. With the addition of our first wholesale arrangement with the very group in March 22, we still have so much opportunity for further growth across this sales channel. So for completeness, um, here's our full income statement for FY22. In addition to the elements that I've already spoken about, I just wanted to draw attention to two additional points. Firstly, within depreciation and amortization, there is a 200,000 uh, charge relating to accelerated amortization of our website intangible. So effectively a one-off, which has brought down the carrying value of the intangible to zero. Secondly, and for the first time, we have been able to recognize a deferred tax asset of 400,000. Previously, this was all unrecognized. However, given our trajectory towards being profitable full year, it has now been possible to recognize a portion of this tax asset within FY22. And for information, the unrecognized element of our deferred tax asset is now 4.7 million. Moving on to the balance sheet, we're pleased to share our growing balance sheet strength with net assets of 10.6 million as at March 22, which is roughly doubled compared with the prior year. This strengthening includes seven million pounds of cash as at March 22, which is after investing 2.2 million in working capital during the year. This followed the equity raise in, in May of 21, which allowed us, allowed us to accelerate our growth through additional investment in stock with both breadth and depth of the range increasing. We executed our plan post this raise as envisaged with stock increasing in the year by 4.4 million to 7.3 million, which includes further investment for the spring summer season. It is this additional stock that has allowed us to meet the clear and growing demand from customers across all sales channels, including from our third party partners where the Sasanda product range has resonated so well with their customers. Debt has increased in the year by 1.7 million to 2.5 million, and creditors increased by 3.9 million to 6.8 million, where creditor days have continued to move favorably, which reflects the trust that our suppliers have in Sasanda and how much they value our relationship. Some additional information. In, in February 22, we renewed our existing office lease, and from April 22, we were delighted to take on even more space. This has doubled our total office space, which has provided a fabulous working environment for our team, allowing us to further attract and retain great people to drive our business in the future. And finally, our cash balances at June 22 is 6.1 million, which reflects the timing and further investment in inventory, which is driving another step up in revenue as we go through the first half of FY23. We're now going to look ahead at our strategy for the next stage of growth for the business and also at the market backdrop. So we've just gone through over two years of extremely challenging trading conditions where consumers have had little actual need for clothing and have spent vast amounts of time at home. And we've still thrived as a business against this difficult backdrop. We're under no illusion that we now have not another set of very challenging circumstances with a difficult economic climate, rising cost of living, and how that impacts discretionary spend and also creates low consumer confidence. 
it's no surprise that fashion retailing is one of the more resilient retail sectors at the moment. And this has been driven particularly by the mid-market, which is exactly where we sit, because in difficult economic times, women do still buy clothes. We also know that our customers are more affluent, as we showed at the beginning, and therefore more cushioned from economic pressures. However, trading is and will continue to be challenging against this tough economic backdrop. Although women still buy clothes in hard times, the impact is they tend to buy less clothes. So what we can do is drive even harder to keep gaining market share. We intend to do this by broadening the product range even further. In the pandemic, the product ranges were narrower in terms of what the customer wanted to buy, as she just largely wanted casual clothes. Now she has broader lifestyle needs again and wants clothes across all areas from workwear to occasion to casual. However, we're fast tracking those categories where we know she's most likely to spend. This is occasion wear, beach and swim and tailoring. Basically, what we're seeing is after a couple of years wearing casual clothes no one saw her in, she's actually spending her money now in the places she will be seen. So going out, going to work and going on holiday. On top of this, we are also looking at wider pricing structures. We know our customer really well. And as we did in the pandemic, our messaging in our communication with customers will reflect how our customers are thinking and feeling. What customers really want at the moment is standout quality clothing and value for money. And that is what we're really good at. We are so focused on a business as a business on loyalty, seen in our ever increasing repeat rates. And we intend to take more share of spend, something we're confident we can do. So now we're going to look at our strategy going forward, which falls into four pillars, product, marketing, sales channels and supply chain. So to look at product first, it is our strategy to continue expanding the number of styles in all categories, whilst always maintaining our strategy of on-trend, quality, long-lasting, lifestyle-appropriate clothes. As you can see from the pie chart, we already have a really equitable mix across all product categories, and we are in all main women's wear categories, and all those categories are in growth. However, there is still lots of room for expansion in all the categories. We are also fast-tracking some new categories that we spoke about earlier that we've seen explode post-pandemic, occasion wear, beach and swim, and blazers and suits. We are also developing new shapes and lengths. So we already do all trousers and jumpsuits in three lengths, and we're expanding different lengths into our dresses too. We're also increasing garments using sustainable fabrics and maintaining our affordable mid-price point. We'll also make sure we have daily newness while maximising our best sellers. So our strategy of planning, buying and merchandising stock has really been critical to our success. We constantly hone and develop this to mean that we turn stock very fast, we maximise bestsellers and we create constant newness while minimising risk. So the graph on the left shows the number of styles. 60% of styles will be completely brand new to the customer in a year and 40% of styles are bestsellers. So the range constantly feels new and exciting to the customer, inspiring them to spend when brand new with brand new things that they've never seen before and also on bestsellers that come back into stock. And then the graph on the right shows the total stock units. Because we buy much more deeply on proven styles, when it comes to overall stock count, 65% of our cash is invested in stock that goes into proven bestsellers, with only 35% of our cash invested into brand new styles. 
So it means we can offer a constantly refreshed clothing range to the customer while minimizing our risk on stock. And it's not just stock planning that's unique, it's also our customer acquisition strategy. Our plan for acquisition is to invest in three big areas, and we invest in them pretty much equally. That's TV, glossy brochures, and social media. And then a fourth area with a small amount of money goes into digital marketing, which is things like Google Shopping and Search. Because of our backgrounds in media, we've been able to develop a strategy that makes all forms of media work from print to digital to TV. And it stood us in really good stead not to be overly reliant upon one channel. It's also very easy to dial up and dial down and adapt each to when we get the best ROI in each area. And again, we've taken the industry norms and turned them on, on its head. So to quote our agency, no one but no one buys TV like we do. We buy TV like a digital campaign. We track signups by hour in order to optimize channels, programs, and specific times of day. And then we combine this with a brand new TV creative shot every month. We shoot it cost effectively on location at the same time that we shoot all our stills, meaning that we get an unheard of response rate to TV. And our brochures are also brand new every time. We put them together like we would a magazine with fresh imagery, new product, and they're turned around in a matter of days. So we can exactly tap into what customers are thinking and feeling at any moment. Our strategy is to acquire high quality customers who will go on to repeat, as we saw at the beginning, how effectively we're doing this, which leads on to our retention strategy. The same channels that work for acquisition also drive retention. So TV, social and brochures drive deep ongoing engagement with our customers. But our number one retention channel, which utilizes our backgrounds in media to best effect is email marketing. It works for us in a way that we've never seen for other brands. We have industry-leading open rates, and we drive over 50% of our revenue with negligible cost. And it means that we constantly have our finger on the pulse as emails can be adapted by the minute to tap into what customers are thinking and feeling. And the final bit of our strategy is zero-cost brand endorsement through TV, celebrities, and third parties. We've always had brilliant celeb endorsement for Sasanda from high-profile actors, presenters, dancers, and singers, Unlike a lot of brands, we don't pay celebrities to wear our clothes. The celebrities wear them as they like them. The great thing about our strategy is that when a celebrity wears our clothes, it's like the icing on the cake. But we're not reliant on celebrities or influencers and their popularity to sell our clothes. The product sells as we're producing product women in our market want and need and until Sasanda we're not able to find. And we have found once a celebrity wears us just like our customers, they repeatedly wear us. So on average, the Sander clothes will appear daily on a celeb, on a TV appearance like Lorraine Fashion Slot or This Morning, or on an influencer. And also selling through our third party partners is great for brand endorsement too, as we are exposed to their large database of customers. And we also receive promotions from them that are free, such as Marks and Spencer's doing an above the line brands campaign this autumn, which we don't have to pay for. So next, looking at our sales strategy, our own site growth is the anchor to our success. We work with strategically chosen third parties where we can grow rapidly. So far, Next, Marks & Spencer's, John Lewis and The Very Group. Our strategy is to scale our own site and existing cha channels and then start to expand overseas, either through third parties or our own site. And this is what we are currently assessing, modelling and comparing the opportunities for.
in terms of our supply chain strategy, it is all about doing more of what we are already doing and ensuring that all elements can scale up in line with our growth plans. It's imperative to have daily newness of product for our customer to shop, and therefore our supply chain has been structured to manage this really effectively. From a supplier perspective, we have always mitigated risk by spreading our suppliers across multiple countries. The focus remains on further expanding and diversifying our supplier network, balancing the objectives of scale, margin, ethical compliance, and sustainability. In terms of shipping, historically, we have used predominantly air freight to move goods to the UK. Over the last 12 months, this has changed with H2 FY22 in particular using much more road freight. The proportion of air freight has reduced even more in FY23 within a more equitable mix of air, sea and road being used. And this will continue to be managed in a way to retain speed to market balancing our economic and environmental aims. Since the beginning, we have partnered with Clipper Logistics who manage our warehouse on our behalf. They are efficient and work with great speed, but importantly, they can scale their operation to support our growth objectives. So to come on to the future, we've got an exciting future ahead and the new financial year has started very strongly. The rise of an ageless society means the opportunity for Sassandra is ever-growing, and we can dress our ever-growing customer base for their entire lives. We are very clear about the challenges that a struggling economy will bring, but we have confidence in our ability to navigate tough times ahead as we have done through the pandemic. We've navigated a hugely challenging time when women had little need for clothing, in addition to steering our way through global supply chain challenges and rising costs. We've delivered record revenue and moved the business into profit, now with nine consecutive profitable months. Our achievements have been down to our strategy, planning and our ability to execute. And it's the way that we run our business that will enable us to steer through the next set of challenges. We've got a very clear strategy in place and the ability to execute our plan, giving us confidence that we will achieve what we've set out for the coming year and beyond. So that's the end of the presentation. And we'd love to hand over to you now for questions. Thank you, Julie. So the first question is, do you have a sense of the age of your inventory? So what percentage is more than, say, 90 days? There'll always be a proportion over 90 days. But the, the key thing really is about the rate of sale from our point of view. We categorise stock in multiple ways, whether it by season, by category, so on and so forth. Um, 90 days isn't necessarily for us a milestone. The key thing is to enter a new season, so say spring, really well with good stock and then transition out of spring, summer into autumn with relatively clean stock. Even if we had stock that was brought in a year previous for that season, it will always sell in the following. But we have a, rel a really clean stockhold overall. Um, and a very, very fast selling throughput. So one of the charts that Julie shared was about how we purchase stock. The new lines that we bring in are, are relatively low in quantity and monitoring the sell through of those items is really fundamental to whether we repeat buy that item. So if it proves its worth on a minimum buy, we'll get more volume behind it in the second buy, which in turn drives bestseller and that drives the newness for the customer. So we've got a, a relatively clean stock hold, really pleased actually. And the position we're in right now 
and exiting Q1 is with absolutely the right amount of stock for the, the rest of the summer. And then we've got a good pipeline of stock starting to go on some boats ready for the autumn season. So really pleased overall with our stockhold. Tremendous. Thank you very much indeed. A couple of questions here. Given so many brands, for example, Lipsy, a listing on Next, M&S, etc., to what extent will, in time, these platforms charge you to be at the top of their lists like Amazon do, adverts or sponsored listings, etc.? And might this, in time, affect margins? And the second question is, how much do you estimate you'd have to spend on marketing to stand still and not to grow at all? Email is obviously almost free, but you'd still need to spend on photo shoots. Do you count the cost of the photo shoots as marketing in your numbers? Right. Quite a few questions in there. Let me start with um, the question around paying for marketing on third parties. Um, and then perhaps we move on to you, Steve, to talk about um, actual expenditure on our marketing on our own site. Um, so third parties, the, the simple answer is they already do charge. If you want to pay for marketing on Next or John Lewis or indeed Marks and Spencers, you can pay for marketing on, on their sites. Um, the answer to that question is we don't pay for marketing um, because we've not found the need that we don't find the need to pay for marketing. Um, and that's really the beauty of our relationships with them is organically our product is selling. Um, what those third parties care about is selling product. Um, it, they don't make their money from, from marketing. They, uh, that's an additional revenue stream. They just want the best product to sell. So if organically your product sells, which is exactly what ours is doing, um, that's really why it's working so well for us. We do get some free marketing as well with um, because our product is so strong. Um, I think Ali mentioned in, in her section on the presentation, it's one of the benefits of working with the third parties. We quite often get free marketing because our brand is doing so well on their site. They want to promote us um, because, in turn, that that drives revenue for for them in their in uh, in their brands. Hopefully, that answers that question. Steve, do you want to answer about um, does Photoshop fall into um, marketing? So, on the presentation slide, there is the overhead breakdown by the four distinct types of spend. Um, we include the cost of our photo shoots and the creative for our TV ads within the marketing line in there. Um, in terms of um, how much would we need to spend to stand still, we, we don't necessarily model that as such. I think the key thing, of course, is about retention of customers, but also of acquisition, because it's really important to keep adding to our database. And that's what we've been doing over the last 12 months. And, and as Julie said, we're now at a quarter of a million active customers, which is a fraction, of course, of the overall opportunity. So the key point really is about cost-effective acquisition. And with the cost of acquisition now at under £19, um, which has now been maintained and lowered over the last 12, 18 months, we're in great shape to continue to grow the active customer number. There are months where we don't spend very much at all, and those are the months where they're typically lower return on investment months. And therefore, um, we channel our, our marketing activities into the, the periods where you're going to get more reward for the investment. So we do get three or four months in the year where we do minimal marketing in terms of acquisition marketing to focus the effort where we're going to get biggest bang for our books. So hopefully that answers the questions that were asked. 
Thank you very much. And um, a couple of questions on returns. Are you impacted by growing returns? And if so, what are your plans to mitigate this? And do you have any plans to charge for returns? So from our point of view, um, we have again we've seen a curve of course with returns so if we go back to pre-pandemic uh, for us um we had a return rate that let's call it normal um, that was predicated on the mix of product that we were selling at that time that was predominantly dresses and formal wear which typically is a category that has slightly higher rates of return because it's harder to fit onto onto the body through the through the pandemic, we had a much lower rate of return as the industry did, um, partly because people didn't want to return stuff and go out, but predominantly because the product categories that were selling at that time were much more casual, much easier to fit. Those rates of return were never going to carry on as we came out the other end of COVID. So what we did, we always planned for rates of return to grow. Um, in our modelling, and that's exactly what's happened. So what we've seen post-pandemic, if you will, is a much more normalised product mix, more formal wear, much higher return rate as a consequence, but it's just reflective of the mix of product that we're now selling. So we've not seen any material change since pre-pandemic on a category by category level. And therefore, at the moment, we've not been looking at whether we do or don't change the way we we kind of run the business from an economics perspective. So that would include charging customers for returns. We're not seeing any material change in consumer behavior when they buy Sasanda. And therefore at this moment in time, we're not looking at charging the customer. But of course, we're very aware what other brands are doing in the e-commerce space. And we watch that um, and we'll take learnings. But at this moment in time, we don't need to when we're not changing the model that, that stood us in good stead up until now. Thank you very much. And given the success of third party sites like Very and Next, are there other sites that would be appropriate for Sasanda to be listed on? And are these a good way to start international sales? Yeah. Um, the, yeah, I think there is room for possibly one more site in the UK. Um, and we are at the moment looking at how we enter the market internationally because we know that the opportunity that we've seen in the UK for Sasanda is definitely an opportunity overseas. Obviously, our opportunity in the UK is still massive because there's 20 million women in the UK over 35. Our active database is quarter of, the, of a million, so we still have a huge opportunity just in the UK. But we know that this also transfers overseas. In terms of overseas, how we'll do that? Will it be through third-party sites? Will it be through our own site? That's what we're assessing and modelling at the moment. It may well be that it's a combination of the two, but that's something that we're definitely looking at and we'll um, inform you about in time. Thank you very much. This questioner says, really impressive performance. Congratulations. Your larger online rivals like ASOS and Boohoo are facing strong headwinds with logistics problems, inflation, Brexit, rising returns and falling EBITDA margins. You've explained why you've bucked the trend, but is there concern that as you scale, you'll start to see gross margin erosion and big capex requirements? Probably not. I, I think what we're conscious of is growing the business in a way that's diverse and mitigates risk from day one. So the, the one of the core DNA elements of the business is it strikes a balance between high entrepreneurial spirit, spirit and agility, but we plan 
and we make sure that we make decisions that don't put the business at risk. So, for example, we've already got a really diverse set of suppliers across multiple countries, which in turn reduces the risk profile of the business. So as we scale, that DNA doesn't change. So we put ourselves in as good a position as possible to not be impacted by headwinds in the future. Of course, we're not immune to all headwinds. They affect all of us equally. But I think from our perspective, we've worked really hard to put structure in place that tries to protect us as as best as possible. From an economics perspective or a gross margin perspective, I guess we've got great opportunity. Already, we're increasing proportional volume that comes to the UK using uh, lower priced shipping methods, and that will only continue. That has quite a significant impact on on, on our margin already. And importantly, uh, we see material benefit already, and that will only carry on as we continue to order larger volumes of product coming from our suppliers. So we're still, we recognize that still massive opportunity and our growth profile will be significant. And that in its ter- it, it brings opportunity. It also brings challenge, but it brings real opportunity to mitigate headwinds, but also to drive future growth in gross margin. From a warehouse logistics, more generally perspective, one of the reasons Sasanda chose to work with a third party and specifically Clipper is because they can scale our operation um, to a level much, much larger than we are today. We have regular meetings with them in terms not just the near-term objectives, but also the longer-term objectives to make sure that we have the structure in place that will grow with us, whether that's in footprint process, automation, investment, all of those things are on our roadmap, not necessarily today, but we do dedicate a lot of time to make sure that the pathway is clear so that we can achieve the growth, the growth, the, the growth, the growth ambitions that, that we have for the business. Tremendous. Thank you very much. And how does your cost of customer acquisition compare with your competition? Where do you think this cost will eventually settle and keep you efficiently gaining market share? Um I'll answer part of that. To my knowledge, um, other companies don't release their cost of acquisition um, unless uh, Steve could. I I don't think, to my knowledge, I don't think anybody does, do they? Not to my knowledge, no. No. So so it's impossible to compare. So uh, I think what really matters is that the cost of acquisition that we have works for us and works for our model. And the cost of acquisition that we're sitting at now, which is just under £20, is a sustainable and long-term way of running of running our business acquiring because it's quality customers that matter it's not about acquiring cheap customers that then don't necessarily go on to repeat for us it's about requiring the right acquiring the right customers that become regular purchasers as you've seen in the in the growth that we've seen in the in the frequency of purchase so i think if our cost of acquisition were to remain at the level it is now which is around that 20 pound mark that's perfectly uh, that's perfectly acceptable and we can run long term the business at that kind of level is there a possibility to reduce that further then yes 
probably. Um, the, the business is modelled really on staying at that kind of level of cost of acquisition. So therefore, if we were able to reduce that, um, that further, because we're constantly trying to reduce that further, constantly trying to hone and refine exactly what exactly what we're doing, um, then obviously that would, would be you know, very beneficial and, and upside for us in the future. Thank you very much. And um, we've got a couple of questions on international. At what point will you start to address the international opportunity? And what lessons do you draw from the experiences of other large online clothing brands that have attempted to grow internationally? And which country or countries do you have in mind? Ali, do you want to start on that? Start with that. Yeah, as I kind of mentioned in, in the um, last question, we were at the moment where I think last time we spoke to you, we were in research stage. We've moved slightly on from that. And now we're looking at assessing and modeling the opportunities for going international. In terms of which country, that's not something we've decided yet because we're assessing all countries, all areas. Um, I think we take a lot of the lessons that we've learned from what we've done in terms of the UK and apply that to going internationally. I think the point is, is to take each one slowly and um, not rush into going into lots of different countries, but actually take it slowly, launch into one country, see how that goes and what lessons we learn from that before we spread ourselves too thin, which is what we did in the UK. So at the moment, that's our strategy. There's still a lot of work to be done in terms of modelling and assessing, and we will keep you informed on that as we go along. I would add to that, Ali, that... Um probably worth noting within the senior team at Sustando, we have several members of the senior team that have worked in other businesses that have launched and grown businesses overseas. So not just the learnings from the sector, but also more hands-on experience, but also knowledge about what it takes to grow a business overseas. Some of the challenges and some of the some of the learnings, I suppose, that are very much co- much more close to hand to, to people so that they they've brought those to Sustando to when we do execute um, we're doing it from a point of knowledge and strength um, rather than guesswork so I think as with everything that we do we plan and we'll make sure that we we're, we're robust when we when we execute the go live thank you very much and um, what are your plans for Sisanda branded accessories um, we do we already do quite a lot of accessories anyway so we do um, scarves jewelry um, belts, all things that all that all go with clothing, and obviously we do we do uh, a very extensive range of footwear. So I would say we're already very much in the in the accessories um, market. Plans to expand beyond that? I think we're we're expanding in all our categories. So every single category that we're in is growing and has an opportunity for expansion, and some of them are well into their infancy. So yeah, accessories along with all the other categories, there is a plan to expand. Do you think there's a risk that John Lewis and Next could start saying to third-party suppliers that they don't want any more third-party relationships? I think because it's a concession arrangement um, and we're in control of how much stock we put we push into them, what they care about is that that product is selling on their site. Um, it, it doesn't matter to them, really, if, if, uh, if product is sold, is sold elsewhere. They've never at any point raised any concerns about the fact that we work with the three biggest women's wear retailers in the UK already. And then obviously we launched on Very. Um, I just think it's it's perfectly normal 
business, um, normal business behavior to sell on a number of sites. And um, I, I don't envisage that they would ever really raise that as a, as a question. I know you've covered this quite a lot in your presentation, but I'm getting quite emphatic questioning about the impact of a UK recession on Sosander and what you might do to mitigate that. Yeah. Okay. We'll just talk about that maybe again. So I think I think I would say that our the the um, forecasts that are uh, in the market from singers are realistic. They're realistic based on. Um, challenging times ahead. Those poor forecasts have been put together with that really in mind, I think. So I think we are um, under no illusion about what recession means. We've, um, all three of us have managed businesses through very difficult recessionary times in the past. And um, we know that businesses can really thrive in recession. Um, some businesses don't, but some businesses do. And, um, and we think that we our strategy around product, customer retention and engagement with our, with our customers um, will be the right strategy to keep gaining share. So I suppose if we were to sum it up is even if customers shop less, which they will, because overall women will buy less clothes in a recession. They still buy clothes. They just overall the pie will be is likely to be uh, smaller. But that doesn't stop you gaining share, um, gaining share from that pie. So we can still do all those things. And we our strategy is really around our product being differentiated, the absolute best product, product that you cannot buy anywhere else apart from Sassanda branded product, and also understanding and engaging with our customers and understanding how they're thinking and feeling. I think we would sum it up to say it's no different than being in the pandemic. It's just the set of challenges were different in the pandemic. In the pandemic, people had lots of money, but they had absolutely no need for any clothes whatsoever because they were just sitting at home. Um, we still managed to turn that to our advantage. It was very, very tough trading and selling clothes in the in in during COVID, um, but we managed to thrive. We kind of switch it on its head now. What we've got now going forward is people with less money, but much more of a need to uh, to buy clothes. And as Ali said, to buy clothes that they're going out into the world and people are seeing them in clothes. Um, so it's it. It's very, um, the challenge is very obvious to us. And I think we're, we're very clear of how, of how we tackle that, that challenge. I don't know if you'd add anything, Ali. Oh, I, to I totally agree with everything you said. I mean, at the end of the day, as, as we said a lot through the presentation, the product is king. It's what all our, our success is based on. And I think we just continue to drive that forward and keep that unique differentiation of our product going forward for the customer and will help us thrive through this challenge as well. Many thanks indeed. And I'm afraid that's all the questions we've got time for. Julie, do you have any closing remarks? Uh, just to say thank you very much, everyone, for your time today and coming to listen to the presentation. And we look forward to seeing you again next time. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.